0: This is part three of a four-part series. This is Dr. Singleton with your course A101-B114, Introduction to Hermeneutics. In your study of the Bible text it is valuable to recognize different figures of speech commonly found therein. In fact, it is said to be more than 200 different types of figures of speech found in the Bible. Let's look at a few of them which may be found and used most often. Many of the various figures of speech have similarities and are yet different. Take special care to notice the distinguishing grammatical composition that gives each part of speech its uniqueness. The first one we will look at is the metaphor. The metaphor suggests in a word or phrases a similarity between two commonly different ideas without implying they are identical it is given to suggest a likeness between two some examples in the bible are a stony heart found in ezekiel 11:19 bread of life found in john 6:35 and body of christ in 1 corinthians 12:27 and so we can see in the metaphor that these are things relating to one thing and giving a picture of another thing, such as the body of Christ. One might interpret that as Christ's physical body. But the text here is referring to the body of believers being the body of Christ. And then we will explore the idiom. The idiom, I-D-I-O-M, are particular and peculiar in the languages languages of the world. They are common and unique expressions among those that are familiar with them and they do not follow the general grammatical rules or process. Many times they are unique among certain groups of people of people or a segment of society. Uh, some examples of English idioms uh, from the Word of God, we might get one such as in Job nineteen twenty, where the scripture speaks of or, or among men we say speak of by the skin of your teeth. Well in Job nineteen twenty you can see where that comes from or the blind leading the blind. Perhaps you've even said it. Well, you can find that the gist of it there in Matthew 13 through or Matthew 15, 13 through 14 and a drop in the bucket. Isaiah 40 and 15. Additionally, there are some others such as dead from the neck up or raining cats and dogs. Now, you may not know this. But I am a retired professional firefighter for the city of Rochester. And one of the uh, phraseologies we might use that is common in that profession is to hump holes or humping holes. Well, if you're a firefighter, you know exactly what that means. And there's no question about it. But if you're not, it may leave you to really wonder what was just said. Well, humping holes is a phrase that is used to describe us walking the water out of a hose. So we would pick up these 50 foot limbs of holes at one end, throw it over our shoulders, which would cause the water to run down and we'd walk toward the other end. That was called humping holes. And so you can see a metaphor here and how they are applied or or, pardon me an idiom here and how they are applied and how they are so unique if you will to a group a society a you know a, a set a number of people it's not so much always known to everybody things that are common in idioms and then there is the simile the simile is a comparison between two things with another thing that are al- unlike and used to exemplify it one of the easiest ways to distinguish the simile from some other parts of speech is what we will call indicating words when um, whenever you see the words as and or like in the Bible these, points us or indicate to similes such as righteous are bold as a lion. The fact that it has bold as a lion lets us know that part of speech is a simile or like a thief in the night, a simile or a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. As we look in Proverbs 25, 11. These are all similes, and they are, throughout the Bible, these different figures of speech, uh, some we won't really go into, but um, we find them throughout the Bible. Then there is the hyperbole. Some might look at it and refer to it as hyperbole because of its spelling, H-Y-P-E-R-B-O-L-E, hyperbole. Um, is what some might say, but it's more correctly pronounced hyperbole. A hyperbole is an obvious, extravagant, and intentional exaggerated statement that is not to be taken literally and is used for effect. Notice some hyperboles in the Bible. One is, behold, the world is gone after him, there in John 12, 19. Or, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, in Matthew five twenty five. Now, these are hyperboles, exaggerations, and sad but true. Sometime, some folk do not understand the figures of speech that are being used and will actually go forward to do bodily harm to themselves because they feel they have a scriptural support or foundation for doing whatever it is. In fact, some years ago, someone called me and said uh, they were going to cut off their finger. And 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 I said, what? And they were quite distraught in their mind. And uh, they said, yeah, they're gonna cut it off because the Bible says, to do that. And and I'm trying to talk them out of it and what have you but you know they're going on like this is just what they're going to do. And so I said, well, you know, actually if you're going to follow the Bible, then you got to get the whole hand because the Bible says if your hand offend you, that's what you're to cut off. It doesn't even mention cutting off the finger. And uh somehow, I guess they got a revelation. They didn't want to give up that much. And so <laughs> praise God, they got to keep all their parts, you know. So so uh it's important for you to know how to uh share and help people understand some of the various figures of speech in the scriptures, because if the text is taken out of context, then error is the only thing that's left. You know, the the scripture goes on and and there in the book of Job 29 six, uh, Job speaks and he says the rock poured out, um, poured me out rivers of oil. And and here is a hyperbole. We we realize that the rocks don't pour out oil. and, And Job was simply making a reference to the prosperity God had given him, God being his rock as it were. Going on, let's go to the analogy. The analogy is a comparison of likeness between two things which are unlike in some ways and are alike in other ways. Commonly, analogies are a means of reasoning used for explanation by drawing a comparison between parallel cases. An analogy is an umbrella term that covers metaphors, similes, allegories, typologies, and the like. Here we find some biblical analogies. The Lord, the shepherd, and the saints, the sheep, there in John ten eleven, Or, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. They're in Exodus 4, 22. And so we can see through scripture these different parts of speech, which it helps every serious Bible student to not only know, but be able to recognize the parts of speech they're dealing with to give greater clarity to the intent of the writer, to the audience to which the writer as written and even to make application to us today. Moving on, we're going to notice what's referred to as a personification, the personification. This is a figure of speech when characteristics that are of a personal human nature are attributed to non-humans and inanimate objects. From the scriptures, we find some personifications in the Bible, such as righteousness and peace, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. they in Psalms eighty-five, ten. 10. Or let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together in Psalms 98, 8. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed. Now we we see these are personifications because for one, we know that righteousness and peace really can't kiss each other, but that's what the scripture says. Or we understand the floods can't clap their hands. And one might ask, how can the hills be joyful? These are attributes, characteristics, things that are common to humans, if you will, but here they are applied to these other things, these uh, non-human inanimate things, if you will. Or, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Creation to groan and travail, the groaning and travailing is commonly something that happens among men so these are examples of personifications now now when it comes to these personifications i've um made a a a little thing that could probably help you with that and um now you will want to remember these six parts of speech so I've put them into an acronym to simplify uh, regurgitating this information. The word is mishap, M-I-S-H-A-P, which may aid you in remembering these six parts of speech. You do want to remember that. Let's now go to making an application. When it comes to the scriptures as we read them, Certainly, inductive study ends with application. In fact, as a believer, we should always be looking at, okay, God, what are you saying to me? How does this apply to my everyday life? Or how does this apply to the people that you have given me a measure of responsibility for? How, how am I to share this word? You know, commonly we're faced with uh, questions that people have about situations they're dealing with. And uh, it helps us when we can know how to make an application of a passage that is uh, relevant to a person's life and or situation, not just someone else's, but even our own. It makes a difference. When we're able to make a proper association. So let's look at making an application. Now some of the questions one may ask includes what am I to do with the information I now have or how do I make an application of the things I've learned. Surely these truths were for them back then, but it is applicable to me today. Yes, These things are not only for them back then, but for us right now. So, you know, these are some great questions. And I appeal to all of my listeners never to disconnect from the text. What do I mean by that? I'm submitting that the word of God is timeless and is applicable to every generation, every tongue and every land. Far too often, one does what I call disconnecting from the text, meaning they read the text and acquainted with all of them. They look at the personalities in the Bible as unique somehow from other people. I'm submitting they were common people just like you and I who made a conscious choice to seek, find and follow the will of God those who made a conscious choice not to compromise but to stand faithfully those who made a conscious choice to try to hear and obey the voice of the lord consistently and the same god then is the god now and as he has worked through others he'll work through you and so i say whatever you do don't disconnect from the text see yourself in the word And it helps you to see how the word then applies to you. So, um, you know, the Bible speaks to us in 2 Timothy 3 and uh, verse 16 and 17. Some of you may be very familiar with it, where it tells us that the scripture is given by inspiration of God, that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Many times in the Bible, there are not only applications to be made, but multiple applications that could be or should be made. Therefore, we do well to endeavor to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that he can illuminate to us the will of the Father relating to any and all passages We must never take revelation of biblical truths for granted. God is not obligated to give us insight into these treasured truths. Unless he gives us insight, we will be blind to what some may see as obvious truths and applications. No doubt some of you have had this experience where you're trying to explain a passage of scripture to someone and they simply cannot see it. And it, it, it almost kind of seemed maybe for you to defy logic. Like, how is it they can't see this? This is so plain. Well, it's only plain to those to whom God gives illumination and or revelation of a text. And so um, i appeal to you never to take these things for granted. Uh, these to me are certainly times and places where we can really give God glory as he just kind of pulls the veil back a bit more and allow us to see and to peer into truths that previously were just totally unobserved before. So the applications, the first one we will look at is the practical application. It's the most common and obvious application observed. It is when it is so plain in your face that you cannot deny how it is to be applied, such as in 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Passages of this sort are practical. It's it's actually seemingly kind of hard to miss what it is saying and how to apply it to our lives. One of the noteworthy things about this passage is that it should be applied today and in everything. So even though everything may be good, we can apply it. But also it is to be applied tomorrow when our brother or sister offends us. This practical application is still to be a part of the believer's life. Let's go to secondary application. And you wanna remember these applications. We will look at four of them uh, today. Here is what I submit to be a beautiful illustration of a secondary application of biblical text. The text we'll look at is Matthew 14, basically verses 26 through 31, that lets us know that Jesus is coming to the disciples. He's walking on the water. And when they see him, they're troubled, the fear grips them um, so much, they're thinking they're seeing a spirit. And the Bible say they began to cry out with fear. So this fear is overtaken them. And um, you understand that the common belief of that day was when you saw a spirit, it was an indication that death was nigh. And we learned that Jesus spoke to the disciples and basically told them everything is good. You know, don't be afraid and and. Uh, That that when he spoke, then Peter really spoke back out to him and said, you know, Lord, if if that's you, then bid me to come on the water. Jesus tells him to come. So Peter comes down out of the ship and starts walking on the water on his way to Jesus. And later we learn that he saw the wind and, you know, later he was afraid. He began sinking and he cries out to the Lord to save him. Jesus catches him. Many times we miss uh, uh, key parts of this. So some of the parts that we uh, initially catch and can apply is that we should have faith in God. Uh, You know, believe that Jesus is our savior. We might notice that the Lord catches him up when he's beginning to sink. And all of those are some applications that we can certainly and even should make. I would like to think, They do not end there. In fact, many times we miss the fact that uh, uh, the fact of the leadership that Peter demonstrated when he got out of the ship. Now, I don't know how much you have thought about this, but the Bible didn't say a boat. It said a ship. And most times one had to climb up into a ship. And so to come out of the ship down on the water, it really did take a, a, a real measure of faith here. And um, so, so Peter does that and he comes out of the ship. Now, we many times can focus on the fact that he took his eyes off Jesus and, and that he did. The Bible lets us know it. And uh, Jesus asked him, why did he doubt? Him. So now let's look at some of the secondary and or practical applications we can make. One application we can make, I believe, is that sometime we don't recognize Jesus in the storm. While we're going through difficult things in life, somehow we miss that He is there, or as we read various parts of text we don't see Him there, such as was the case with the disciples. They didn't recognize it was Jesus and because they didn't fear gripped them. And so that's one application we can make. Um and that's actually why they cried out. Another to me, noteworthy observation that spurs an application is that if you're going to trust God, you may have to step away from your contemporaries. If you'll picture with me, here is Peter with all of the other disciples that are on the ship. And these are the persons who have witnessed the great things the Lord has done. They have witnessed the feedings, They have witnessed the blind eyes being opened, the lame now walk, you know, and the other miracles that Jesus did. And when they see Jesus coming on the water and they think of it as a spirit, him walking in this uh, season uh, on the water, they're thinking that, hey, death is encroaching upon us. And Peter stepped out. One of the things that I see here is that sometime, even though you're around other folk who know the Lord and other folk who love the Lord, you may have to step out beyond what others are doing. In fact, I submit this is a word from the Lord right now that first off, he never puts the mail in the wrong box. And so you today who uh, you're listening to this uh, um, lecture, first off, You're not listening by chance or happenstance. This is a God thing. You are privy to this lecture on purpose and for purpose. Now, I believe that God is speaking to somebody right now. You've been waiting for someone else in an area where you are to do something that they're not doing. They're not moving on it while at the very same time you're ready to move. But you say, hey, you know, they love the Lord, too. They might have even been saved longer than you've been saved and you've been waiting and holding on. But I'm saying to you, don't wait any longer. Some will never move, but you're only going to get paid for what you do for God. Now, I'm not uh, including this in my lecture by chance. This this is by divine design. There, there's somebody right now. You know who you are. You're holding back. And, and even though the Holy Spirit's been prompting you to make a move, you're holding back because you're waiting for someone else that seemed like they should do it. I'm glad, I'm glad that I can see an application here in this passage that Peter didn't wait for the other boys. He didn't wait for James. He didn't wait for John or anyone else. He just said, Lord, if it's you bid me to come, he stepped out of the boat. And according to the Council of Scripture, he's the only one apart. From Christ who walked on liquefied water. Let me tell you, God wanna take you someplace you've never been, wanna show you some things you've never seen, want to cause some things to be done through you that you've you've never imagined, but you're gonna have to take a step. You're gonna have to move beyond your contemporaries. My God, my God. I don't know who that's for today, but but I know it's for somebody. I I, I know that's for somebody. I know it's for somebody. My God. And so, so I I appeal to you to simply, simply follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As he's prompting you, as he's urging you, um, as some would say, quickening you, however, uh, whatever terminologies you will use to describe the experience, you cannot deny that this thing stays on your mind and, and you really want to, you really want to move on it, but you're waiting for someone else. I'm telling you now. That stirring in you is not by accident or happenstance. And I believe today, if Peter never would have moved past his contemporaries waiting to see if they were going to move and all of that, we would never have been able to read this account of any of them stepping out of the ship. My God. Okay, let's let's get back to the lecture. Uh, Okay, another application is to keep your eyes on Jesus and not look at the circumstance. So, so, so here, Peter, he's, he's doing great as long as he keeps his eyes on the Lord. And uh, as soon as he looks away to uh, observe, as it were, the wind and the waves. Now, something that I, I see is real noteworthy here is that the Bible doesn't say that these winds and waves came up when Peter looked at them. It really seems to give a picture of these winds and waves was already going on, but he didn't let that stop him when his eyes was on Jesus. And when our eyes are on Jesus, it doesn't matter what the circumstance seemed to suggest. Amen. We understand that our help come from the Lord. Oh my, I'm getting a little bit too excited here, I guess. I'm, uh, this is just a lecture, but no, it's not for me. This is a living word of God and, and it stirs me. It stirs me. Okay, okay. So, so that's one, that's number three. And then number four, uh, I, I believe that God would prefer us to make a mistake trying to honor Him rather than play it safe and never step out in faith. And I pray today, that you are so resolved to to walk in this word and and to see God do in and through you all that he wants to do in and through you, that you're not going to be stuck on stop. You're not going to be paralyzed by fear, but you're going to move according to the counsel of God. Let's move on. Our time is kind of getting a little bit long here. Um, Then there is the prophetic Application, The prophetic application. Uh, the Old Testament is a picture of God's plan for man with copious locations where we see prophetic applications. It is seen in each of the first five books of the Bible. Many of the sacrifices are a typology and an indication that Jesus Christ would be the ultimate sacrifice of all times. In fact, A number of Old Testament books uh, paints a picture such as Daniel's prophecies speaking of the end times or uh, the book of Isaiah foretelling of the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer, uh, the Holy One of Israel and or Ezekiel speaking about uh, things in the distant past concerning Satan and how he was cast down and so forth. Uh, a, a prophetic application can be identified within almost every chapter of the Old Testament. It has been said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So in the Old Testament, it spoke of Things to come, it, it, it shows us typologies or types, if you will, of things that would later manifest. Let's go on to uh, our last application, which is mystical. It is the father's will for us to know him and he reveals himself through his word. Throughout the Bible, we are commanded, instructed and encouraged to know the Lord. Actually, over 70 times in the Bible, we find this phraseology, And they shall know that I am the Lord. Through the scriptures, we get to hear from God himself as he speaks through men in the earth. In fact, the Bible says that these things were written that they might be examples unto us. So then... We are able to observe the way God has dealt with man. We get a glimpse into eternity. We expand our understanding of how God thinks as well as why he has done certain things the way he has done them. And and you know, when I when I think of that I, I can't help but think of the creative account. You know, um most times if you buy a package today, the package uh that what whatever's in the package the most is usually listed first because it is the dominant thing even uh, if you look at movies and you go to credits it will the persons who have the biggest influence or the entities that have some of the biggest influence they're listed first or so the stars if you will rather than some of the other persons who just fill the scenes well when we look at creation we understand through the bible that mankind is god's choice and prize creation However, as we look at the account there in Genesis, man is the last one he makes. So he causes the, the uh, uh, light to shine first and, you know, the water to come out, the land, the firmaments, the creeping things and all that, the, the beasts, the, the, the fowls, all these other things he makes before man. And someone might say, wow, that's something, you know, uh, if we are the choice, look like we would have been made first. I submit there is a a mystical application here that we want to see and we shall not miss. Uh, One of the things that that I submit concerning this reality is that uh, the Lord supplied all of our need before we got here. And oh my God, this is a word for somebody. Your need is already supplied. Now you may not see it that is supplied, but here. Uh, uh Genesis gives us a picture of the fact that it's supplied. So then, because God didn't make man nocturnal where he can see in the dark, God already made light because he didn't give him gills and, 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 and fins. He he made some dry land for him to walk on because he knew man would need to eat. He made some food. For him. And so every need that man had had already been met before God made man. And I'm submitting to you today that every need that you have is already made. My God, I got to be careful here because I I almost want to preach. Okay, Uh, uh, one of the most reliable and remarkable perceptions we can receive from observing the mystical application is the proof of design we find in the Bible. On every page, we can see Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's fingerprint is seen throughout the Bible. These things produces um, in you great respect for the authority of the word, and it fortifies your faith in every situation. So. uh, this this will conclude basically this lecture um, in our next piece. I'll go into covenants briefly and uh, have a few other things for you. The Lord bless you. Be well.